Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to current chief executive of the Rugby League Players Association, Clint Newton. Now, Clint was an NRL superstar. He is most recognized for playing 115 games with the Newcastle Knights, but he also played for Hull KR in England and Melbourne and the Penrith Panthers. Now, Clint was born in the USA, but lived most of his life in Australia. Now, Clint was also a country representative, and he also played for Team USA in the World Cup. Now, Clint won a grand final with the Melbourne Storm in 2007, and he finished his career with the Newcastle Knights in 2015. Now, Clint's father is Jack Newton, the legendary golf player. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig Your Story at podbean.com. We have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, to name a few. We also have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners at Tell Craig Your Story. We also have a YouTube channel there. Make sure you're subscribing to get all the latest updates. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Clint Newton on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Clint. How are you doing today? Good, Craig. That's the way. What time is it now? It's three hours ahead. Yeah, it's uh, 10 to 9 at night uh, here, so so yeah. Excellent. So the Rugby League has finished? 
but uh, your job, I'm assuming, doesn't finish. You're probably just as busy, even busier as you are now. So what's, what's been happening since uh, the grand final for you work-wise? And have you taken time off or are you still sort of, you know, working hard? Yeah, no, we don't really get uh, a whole lot of time off. Uh, well, none at the moment. Uh, yes. That's, uh, that's, that's going to come hopefully sometime soon. Uh, but, yeah, obviously on the back of a you know, sensational season, uh, we now go into really sort of with, in review mode and planning mode for 2022, uh, yes. working through a number of different things, obviously with the NRL and the clubs. Uh, we've obviously got our CBA negotiations that will commence, you know, in the, in the coming weeks or, or a couple of months. So really, it's it's still uh, a busy time for the game, uh, you know, particularly when you're trying to prepare for for the upcoming season and, and what lies yeah. ahead for, you know, for everyone, really. And obviously, we've got a new announcement following, you know, uh, the the Dolphins coming into the competition in 2023. So uh, we're obviously working through a process at the moment where there's where players are starting to go back for to training, so there's so there's some things there that we need to continue to work through, like uh, protocols and uh, vaccinations and and a number of other different things. So yeah, it's there's there's plenty happening. Yeah, and yeah. it's the game that never sleeps. So uh, that's yeah. right. And how how exciting is it uh, to have the, the Dolphins coming in 2023? I mean, that's just great for rugby league in general, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, any time we're going to you know provide more opportunities uh, to play at the elite level, I'll, I would like to think that it's going to increase our participation numbers uh, and opportunities for not just players but staff and administrators to to join the NRL. Um, mm. I think that's a it's a great thing, <clears throat> um, and obviously they've made a uh, made a commitment for further investment in junior development and and women's. Oh, pathways which i think is fantastic so so yeah i, I think the dolphins are really going to disrupt the market uh particularly yes. given the fact that you know wayne bennett's coaching them obviously they're a uh, they're a passionate uh, passionate rugby league club with a long and rich history so uh, yes. it should be should be interesting times top notch it can't get much better than uh, wayne bennett and uh you know there's all like in the media like trying to poach players from different clubs so I guess for the fans, it it's brings you know more excitement into it. So, yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to that. First question I want to ask, and uh, I ask with all my uh, sort of guests that come onto the show, I want to talk about uh, COVID, and I want to talk about um, you know how you got through that. Did you have to sort of cancel anything? And especially for the rugby league, I mean, we I think we got two rounds into the season, and then we had to stop. So for you, just tell us about, and you for your family as well, are they staying safe and healthy? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was an incredibly you know, challenging time, you know, for the game, for the community, for the country, you know, for the world, really. And it was largely one of the, you know, the first times arguably since uh, World War Two, you know, that sport really, you know, felt the effects of something as significant as that. Yeah. Um, and where you know we were we were forced to shut down in just like every, you know just about every other code in the world, uh, rugby league had to um, had to do that and had to rebound and recover. Uh, obviously, it was was difficult um, given the fact that there was a, was so much uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, you know, with regards to you know COVID uh, transmission rates, you know how yeah. it was you know, how it was being transmitted, what level of protection we were able to provide. Everyone was really you know, doing everything they can to try and better understand what was uh, what was just really a, a new 
uh, a new virus. For me personally, I just uh, I'd, I'd got the I became CEO on the Friday in March, and the comp was over on Monday. Um, so it was wow. a, it was a it was a, a quick baptism of fire for myself. But you know, I was pretty fortunate. I had a really good team internally. Uh, we were obviously uh, extremely well connected with the playing group. Had a strong board uh, and strong relationships in the rugby league community, which gave us really the best opportunity to 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 do what we had to do, which was ensure that players were protected and that we prioritised the health and safety of our people. It also, players chose to go back. They chose to go back and start training. Um, it was the first code, uh, first contact sport in the world uh, to go back or first contact team sport it was the first code in the country to return. And um, obviously, it was a sensational effort by many, uh, many different people um, across uh, several different stakeholder groups, and it really demonstrated what we're able to do in really trying circumstances when when we're all working together for one common goal, and that was the protection of our people and to and to give the people their game back. Um, and we did that. Absolutely. And uh, Peter Villandi's great great job, but I'm sure. Uh, it was not just him. It was, like you said, a whole bunch of people behind the scenes, you know, making it just as good. And, you know, that, that those first two weeks, you know, it was all just up in the air. And for you, uh, like on a personal level, were your family, did they all stay safe? And uh, how, how was it adapting, like having a family? Yeah, I think that was, that was the part that it was at times hard to separate. Uh, mm. Given the fact that you were so deeply immersed in in work, when you knew uh, how many people were relying on us to to make good decisions yes. um, that were in the best interests of again our people, prioritised you know the health and safety of our people, but also we knew that if we couldn't get the game back, a lot of people were going to be in vulnerable positions. It was a difficult time uh, for for my family, um, given the fact that I got two young girls. Yes. Um, and uh, and my wife, who's English, um, obviously uh, there was a lot of you know challenge there with regards to you know the borders closing, inability to travel, and just like mm. the rest of the world, really, like we yeah. were we were di- trying to deal with it the best we can. But it was it was difficult because the job became really a you know twenty four seven news cycle um, mm. that was uh, constantly in the public domain, given the significance. Of what was going on, but also the importance of sport and the importance of rugby league for our community. It was a um, never-ending work stream, but it was also deeply rewarding. As as much as it was really challenging, I uh, thought it it brought the playing group together. Um, yes. It brought brought the industry together for the first time. I would suggest in in several years where we were you know somewhat fractured, you know yes. before that, uh, and and it also brought you know the you know our staff together in a way that was able to play our role um, in in getting the games back and ensuring that players were not only just protected but also fairly remunerated um, and they received the the benefits and entitlements that reflected their contribution to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And now, what's the latest update with with the COVID? Are they sort of planning for sort of next season with with COVID sort of restrictions or are they going to still keep it the same or it's just a wait and see? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always changing. I think you know, yeah. largely at the moment it's down to public health orders, which vary from state to state. Yes. Uh, so it's really trying to develop 
some protocols in partnership with the NRL. And obviously, given the fact that the clubs are the employers of the players, they have obviously an incredibly important role to play to ensure that um, you know players and staff are complying, that they understand what their obligations are, um, and that they're also providing a you know a safe workplace for arguably the game's greatest asset in in the players. So. Uh, yeah, there's there's still plenty of work to do. Again, it's we're you know we're sort of walking on moving sands all the time, so it's it can be challenging. But again, it, it's you know I think during these these times, communication is is fundamental to getting the best outcomes, and that's certainly what you know the RLPA and and myself are trying to prioritise. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting off that, you know, I'm a big Knights fan. I, I watched a lot of your games uh, playing for the Knights and not playing for the Knights as well. So can we just talk a little bit about about the night season? There was all sort of you know oh I think they might make the top eight. They've got a good team if they stay if they stay healthy. In the end they got there, but just not good enough. So what was your spin on that? Yeah, I thought it was an improvement from you know previous years. Obviously they've gone through a, a challenging transformation over the last several seasons. Yes. Uh, so you know, I think with a, uh, now the, the second season in for Adam O'Brien, I thought he could mm. start to establish some you know some stronger foundations for the team to build on. Uh, obviously, there's um, there's always you know challenges with injury and uh, yes. and performance uh, and whatnot. And obviously, there was you know significant upheaval for for 12 of the teams that had to relocate to Queensland for the, for oh, the last couple of months of the season. So yeah, um, yeah, I thought it was a uh, I thought it was an okay, you know, performance this year. Uh, I think it's still plenty to build on, but there's such a, uh, there's, they've got such a, a strong history of um, of performing well, yes. and and obviously they play a significant role for the community in in Newcastle and the Hunter Valley. So you really, you know, I think the the game's in a in a better position when the Knights are uh, are performing well and at the, you know, towards the top of the table. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was there like for some of the first games. My dad used to take me when I was a little kid, you know, sit on the hill and watch Sammy Stewart and Butterfield and Glanville. I've definitely seen uh, like a bit of a, it's, it's like, like an up and down, you know, you go, you go through the good and the bad. I think it's a positive thing, um, you know. I, I think maybe one or two good signings uh, for next season, um, you know, we're steering in the right direction. Yeah, so, and hopefully. We'll hopefully look forward with optimism. Uh, do you still live in Newcastle or have you moved out of Newcastle area now? No, I live on the Central Coast now. So Central uh, Coast? Last couple of years. So, yeah, just needed to be closer to Sydney. So it's been a, it's been a good move for us. Right. I understand. Okay. So, uh, Clint, let's go back to when uh, you were born. Like, And I found this interesting that uh, you actually weren't born in Australia. It says that you were born in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in the USA. Yeah, yes, I was. Uh, yeah, I'm a septic tank. Yeah, it's um, uh, <laughs> we. Yeah, my father was playing in the US um, on the US tour. Uh, obviously, he used to bounce around between the European tour and the Australasian tour, and obviously the US. So, yeah, when you know when he played in the US, you know, our home base was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, he was over there just around I think the US Open period. Uh, and yeah, I happened to. Happy to be born during, um, you know, during that time and, and in the US. So it's uh, it's been good. Uh, yeah. It's we only spent a couple of years there, you know, um, on and off. And then obviously after my father's accident, we we moved back to um, back to Australia in Newcastle. 
Was it difficult at, at, at that that time? I mean, your your dad was, you know, you know, an amazing uh, golf player. Was it difficult, like, with him not being there, or did you sort of like, did you travel with him, or how does it sort of work when 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 you were born and you know when you were growing up in the US? Yeah, I mean, my mum did a you know incredible job. I think most parents, you know, back then, uh, you know, under the conditions, you know, of of air travel and and the, and the travel that was available to them uh, was pretty scarce and, and it certainly wasn't at the conditions that people are flying in it um, now. But uh, with with two kids, I had an older sister who was two years older than me, you know, so travelling really around the world um, uh, with two children, uh, following dad uh, yeah. on the professional circuit, you know, it's it's it has its challenges. And golf is a, you know, is a particular sport where, you know, where you live on one night is going to be determined by how well you play, you know, in in that tournament. So right. it's it's uh, it can be challenging for the for the wives and the partners when, you know, particularly when they're lugging around a couple of kids. And and, uh, you know, she was you know, she was she was incredible. And um, but I mean, I, obviously, I was you know, pretty young during that period and yes. I, I don't have huge amounts of memories of it other than the, the footage and the photos that you see. But, um, yeah, I. It was, it was certainly, um, you know, I certainly think that mum did a great job, that's for sure. Yeah. And were you playing golf at that time? Did you? Is that something that you were really into as a kid as well? Or was it something that, like, you sort of didn't want to do? I mean, did you sort of want to be like your dad? Yeah, I mean, often, you know, sometimes there's that drive to, you know, to follow in your in your you know, either parent's footsteps, you know, particularly when it's when my father was such a, you know, successful golfer. Obviously, after he had his accident and lost his arm and his and his eye, that meant that his career was over, but a, a new chapter was about to begin. And that was, you know, in, you know, commentating on golf and uh, yes. and uh, designing golf courses and, and really, um, you know, continuing to be a father and a husband, which was obviously fundamental um, yes. because he did have a choice you know, back then he did have a choice to make whether or not um, that was it for him, and he just wanted to you know, sit in the corner and um, and 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 blame blame the world for for what had happened to him, particularly given the fact that he was still um, absolutely in his prime of, yes. uh, at 33, and still had a, a lot of a lot of things to achieve. But uh, for me. Um, I, I did play it as a youngster. I, mm. I did enjoy it. You know, I started it. You know. Probably about six years of age, um, but I just didn't. I didn't have the passion, you know, for it. And I think, like anything, if you're not prepared to, you know, if you're not prepared to to practice and train and and put in the hard yards, then really it's just a hobby. And uh, and that was what golf was for me. It was a it was a good thing to get out and about. I enjoyed it, you know, but um, but I certainly didn't want to follow in dad's footsteps to become a golfer um i i I just enjoyed team sports and obviously i loved i loved contact sports as well so uh outside of hitting a golf ball there's not a whole lot of contact in golf so uh so yeah so i went to rugby league so when did you uh come back uh to australia i I read there that you you moved back to newcastle when, when you were still like a kid right yeah so um i was uh, I was two, around two or three when um, dad had his accident. Right. Uh, we moved back full time, you know, to, to Newcastle. We didn't do 
uh, we just stayed there really, like because that was what was you know in the best interest of the family. And then yeah. from there, really, it was just about you know, you know, plugging back into the Newcastle community, going to school um, rather than sort of bouncing around and um, and really just sort of getting stuck into sport, which our family loved. So yeah, uh, we tried everything, we gave everything a crack, and 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 which ultimately led to you know me playing rugby league. So what what are your first sort of recollections uh, of, of playing rugby league uh, in Newcastle? I mean, like you said, Newcastle has always been like it's very sporting town. We're, we're always very passionate. We're, we're loyal supporters. So did you have a favourite team growing up in Newcastle? What are you sort of like your first recollections of, of playing rugby league? Yeah, um, my father was a you know, passionate Parramatta supporter. He followed in right. his in his mum's footsteps there. Um, my grandfather was a Balmain Tigers, uh, you know, supporter. Uh, he was a he was a, a senior sergeant in Leichhardt and and Balmain. Dad was a good rugby league player when he was growing up. Um, he was right. good at most most sports, rugby union, went to Epping Boys High, and uh, so I it was always in our family. You know, we always used to go and watch you know, watch matches. Uh, but then when the Knights came into the competition in 1988 mm. and I was, you know, seven, um, we were at the first game. Uh, mm. And at that point, really, like my father said, the moment the Knights come into the competition, you know, his uh, his Parramatta days or his supporting of Parramatta days were over and it was, it was all about Newcastle. So we... Um, you know, some of my fondest memories were going to Knights games. It was a family tradition. Yes. Uh, it was back in the day when, you know, you really had, you know, the home and away draw where it was, you know, one week away, one week home. So you could really schedule, you know, a lot of things in. Largely the Knights were playing, you know, on sort of Sunday afternoon games um, yes. and Saturday afternoon games. So it was a really sort of good weekend um, yeah. outing for the family. Obviously, the you know, so... Uh, and also because my, my, my family became, you know, so close to a to, to the Knights Club and, and the players, we had a, a really great, you know, connection and relationship with the playing group where from an early age my mum and dad would invite, you know, all three grades over to their house and yeah, right. um, for, for, for what's now known as, you know, bonding sessions and whatnot where uh, you would, you know, have a beer and a laugh and barbecue and mum would feed yeah, 60, you know, 60, 70, 80 odd, you know, pl- rugby league players and the coaching staff, and and it was great, you know, like and they were yeah. they were great guys. I looked up to them, you know, they uh, they were my idols growing up, and uh, I think that was really sort of what in, in inspired me to uh, to go on and want to play rugby league because you were sort of always around, you know, these guys, and they were your heroes, you know, going to the sheds after the game and seeing them, you know. You know, happy but banged up or or down and you know sticking together they're the sort of things that you wanted to be a part of and I'm glad I got an opportunity to do it mate how many kegs of beer did you have to have for the Newcastle Knights team in the 80s and early 90s <laughs> for a party of 80 <laughs> a lot uh, yeah often often not enough <laughs> that's that's right did you have a favourite player for the night, Chief? Or yeah, semi-stewart I mean, or? obviously when when they first started, I was you know we had so many tough players. I mean, really, yeah. that was what the club was built on. Yeah. You know, players that were that were tough and had plenty of tomorrows. And it wasn't about signing you know the best the best players and the superstars. Alan McMahon really 
set a tradition and laid the foundations with Alan Bell. Uh, and just it was really about finding guys that were prepared to play a certain style uh, which the fans of Newcastle expected. Oh, and that was, yeah. you know, they, they needed to be tough. They needed to try hard. And and if you played Newcastle, it was all about not necessarily the result. It was about how they felt after playing Newcastle. <laughs> That's absolutely um, right. And so, yeah, I mean, all of those guys at the beginning, you know, like where you, you know, you did have your your Sammy Stewart's and, um, and you know, Hague's and um, yes. Mark Sargent, Sargent and Tony yeah. Butterfield and, uh, Bugsy McLean and uh, Stevie Fulmer and yeah. uh, all of those guys, you know, Tony Kemp, James Goulding, Ash, Ashley uh, Gordon, yeah, yeah. Ash, yeah, they're all, you know, Gary Worth, you know, yeah. Brad Godden. Uh, I mean, they were all, you know, just really outstanding players that punched above their weight. I mean, yes. when when you had guys uh, like Mark Sargent make the Kangaroo Tour. Um, and then, uh, I mean, it was a you know phenomenal effort um, yeah. for him. And you know, I, you know, you, as I said, they were they were your heroes. And you know, when yeah. you go and see them go on and play, you know, for Australia and play for Origin, that was what made you stay up late at night. You know, That's watching right. you know test matches, you know, against Great Britain or against England or France or New Zealand. Uh, and they were great moments that I shared, you know, with yeah. with my father. So this rugby league's given me given me far more than what I've given it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and like like you said, obviously you wanted to win, but they tried. They tried their best. They tried their hardest. They smashed them. Like any team, all the good teams, like the Broncos, like Wally Lewis, and uh, the you know the Canberra Raiders in their prime, Meninga and Daly. You know, they, they would always come and see Newcastle. They're playing in Newcastle, and I was like, whew, we've got to get prepared. This is going to be like a battle, you know. So, yeah, I, I just well, I think, that, I, I think the, you know, the, that's what the fans expected, you know, and that's what, you know, the players tried to give, you know, opposition teams, you know, when they were there and, you know, they wanted, we wanted to, it was, it was kind of, you know, symbolic that it was called Marathon Stadium and it became very much like a cauldron. Um, yeah. For people, and you know, I always remember like whether it was a Sunday afternoon or a Friday night when it was you know standing room only, and you know people were um, you know people were going going bananas for for the nights and you know banging on the change room you know sheds when you know the the windows you know that sort of were below the uh, below the stairs you know you could actually you know bang on those before you know that was just right above the opposition you know change rooms and obviously there's all you know types of stories where the boys would go in there and hose the sheds down and uh make sure all the all the floors were covered with you know a couple of inches of water for the for the team to turn up because they were concrete with no rubber on the floor or anything like that and there's nothing worse than when you're trying to get ready and it's wet floor and you've got taping and yeah. All those types of things. So the Knights were um, uh, were a formidable team, not just on the field, but you know for what they do to teams off the field as well, which which is all part of the tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe not so much now. We still get the diehard fans. It doesn't matter when we're losing, whether we're winning, whether it's you know pouring down, raining, you know severe weather. They always turn out, and, and you know that's what I, uh, I love about the Knights and the supporters. You know, I think it's great, and I hope it continues uh, for a long time. 
So tell, tell us about your juniors. It says here you played with uh, Valentine Elibana. Is that correct? Your junior? Yeah, yeah, played with Valentine. Yeah, it was mm. a, um, uh, I wasn't much good, you know, uh, back in the early days. I think if uh, I started playing in the under-13s, I think if people out of um, – said would I go on and play first grade I would have been about you know two million to one and blowing <laughs> um so it was uh but you know what I did have was you know I had really strong relationships with you know a young player called Brett Finch and um and and Luke Burt um who were playing for Valentine Brett I went to you know he was the ball boy at the Knights and and obviously after each of the home games at the Knights we used to go on the field and play footy um, back in the day, and that's yeah. really where we become we became really close friends. And so when I you know, went and started playing rugby league, because my father would never let me play league because he I was always too small. And so he said, well, until you you know until you're going to turn 13, you're not you know you're not going to be playing. You know you're going to play soccer and cricket and other sports because I just don't think you're big enough. So Clint, Clint can we just stop you there and just uh, can we talk about what you just said there about you not being uh, big enough? Uh, and I had the same problem when I was in, in primary school and, and high school as well. Are they changing that? Do you think that's a bit of a problem now, like with the juniors? Uh, I mean, because you, you get some of the um, the Polynesian kids and they, they look like they're, you know, six foot tall and, you know, 100 kilos do you think that's a bit of an issue with some of the juniors and like turning the sort of like the kids away? Yeah, I'm sure it has some level of impact, but it's not the driving factor of why player, you know, why you know people, you know, sometimes choose not to, you know, not to participate or, or stop playing. I mean, yeah, um, it's you know, I think what the Pacifica community have done for rugby league has has been, you know, outstanding. I mean, they yes. the there are. They take up a huge percentage, you know, of our um, of our playing cohort now, you know, um, north of 46%. Yeah. And, you know, they bring – they don't just bring talent, they bring cultural diversity into our game, which is absolutely significant and and is something that, you know, should be uh, championed um, mm-hmm. and acknowledged because it's something that our game should be proud of. I think at a junior level – um, that's always an opportunity to continually review what goes on at that level around, yes. you know, obviously I know there's been um, uh, different uh, proposals around weight categories and um, rather than just age groups. So, but again, I mean, rugby league at a, at a junior level um, is extremely safe. Uh, the, the rules are, um, are supportive of, you know, a, a safe environment, um, you know, albeit that, you know, when it's when it's a contact sport, it, you know, you can't, you know, remove all risk. Of but um, yeah. but uh, we've got some great junior pl- uh, pathways. And yes. um, and we've got, you know, it, obviously it's a competitive market at the moment. There's a lot of, you know, challenges and, you know, a lot of competition for time uh, at the moment. But, you know, I think rugby league is – is a great community sport. I think it's also one of the main drivers of why it is so important to have, you know, um, at NRL level to have players um, or have a pathway that if you play NRL, you know, you're going to have the best terms and conditions. You're going to have the best insurance policies. You're going to have the best wellbeing and education support. You're going to be remunerated and rewarded for your contribution, the best of any code in the country. That's what we should be aiming towards because, you know, for many families, you know, sport is an opportunity to, yes. you know, 
um, advance themselves further in life um, and, you know, generate impact. And we, we know that uh, a big a big portion of our players come from uh, come from a challenging background. Um, yes. It's a it's a great way to demonstrate that if you are passionate about something and you're committed uh, committed to a cause, be it rugby league or otherwise, um, you can you can make it. You can play at the elite level and you can provide for your family and community. And I, I think that that's that's the opportunity with you know we always should to make should make sure we're championing. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And uh, sorry, uh, get, uh, getting back to what we we're just talking about with uh, your junior. Did you have a, a preference uh, with your positioning? I mean, you said you were like a little smaller than than, than uh, the, the regular sort of person in the team. So, was back row lock uh, still your position, or what position were you playing there at the time? No, I was I was a winger. Um, really? Uh, there you, well, go. You, know, you, you know, back then, um, I'm I'm sure it's very different now. Usually, you know, those that were put on the wing back then was like, let's just get him on the field, but let's not even touch the ball the whole lot and <laughs> right. um, and have him involved. So that was where I used to play. You know, but I was also playing. You know, I was playing third division um, as well. I you know I'd go to training with you know guys like Finchy or with Brett. Um, and he was like Superman for me, um, where, you know, when you're turning up for training, um, particularly in an environment where you're not very good um, at that age, you know, between you know, the ages, I would probably suggest, you know, you know, around that sort of 10, 10, 11, 12, 13 and those, you know, those early years. The last thing you want to do is feel like you're not connected, you know, to, you know, the people that you're trying to play with. And um, and they can really be the difference of whether or not um, you pursue a career or, or or you continue to play on in that in that sport, and I was really fortunate that I had a couple of really good coaches that recognised the fact that I I, you know, I tried hard, I, I worked hard at training, um, good listener, uh, you know, always asked a lot of questions. I was always very curious, you know, of how to do things, why are we doing it that way, you know, basically. You know, tell me how the clock ticks, not just that. You know how to tell the time. Yes. Um, and uh, and Brett and a and a couple of others like Luke, you know, Luke Burt. Mm. Um, they were, you know, I I just can't speak highly enough of those guys because really, you know, particularly Brett had an opportunity to say, you know what, um, you're not very good, and when we go to training, you know, you and I can go our separate ways, and um, and then we can just you know, hang out away from training. But mm. what he did was um, he created, you know, really a safer environment for me um, to have a go and feel like I can be a part of the team, despite the fact that I'm um, I'm not very good or I'm not at the standard of these other guys. But that feeling of inclusiveness and, you know, connectedness with, you know, really the best player in the team, which Brett was, yeah you know, played a huge role in, you know, whether or not I wanted to go to training or not. Now, if yeah. I was to go to training in that environment and the best player as well as another couple of players weren't, you know, like that, um, I probably, you know, I, you know I'd suggest there would be a high probability that I wouldn't go back, oh, you know, like yeah. and, and or maybe I would have changed clubs. Now, if that happens, you know, I'm probably not sitting here talking to you with a, you know, yeah. on the back of, um, you know, a career that I'm really proud of. Uh, yeah. So it's just, you can just never underestimate, 
um, how much it can help a child um, when you're in a situation where you're really vulnerable and you just you just want to be liked, you want to be you know part of the part of the team. Um, and and Brett Brett and Luke and and a couple of others and the coaches they did that for me and um, I'll never forget that. Um, yeah. I'm always grateful. Um, but yeah, it was I, I certainly wasn't a back rower. It was wing. And then the more the more game time I got, the more confidence I got, and the fact that I enjoyed you know tackling. Yeah, moving moved, into the middle. <laughs> I moved into the middle. I I bout bypassed centre and half back and five eight because I wasn't a very good passer. Um, right. So I went from the wing straight to the back row. Um, so, but it was um, but it was yeah it was a it was a slow transition. It was hard for me because I was as I said I was small and I had to always try and manage my weight and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, it was it's all part of it, all part of growing up. And for you, moving into the back row, was it something that you had to work on again? I mean, like lots of more, more tackling, you know, more defence, trying to get a little bit of an offload. You know, was it difficult for you to do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was obviously I was constantly trying to work on my skills. I mean, the, yeah. I did. I wasn't blessed with skills. I think that uh, I think that what I what I had was, which probably largely came from my parents, was I had, you know, I had a you know bone deep belief that if I, you know, if I give this, if I give this a red hot go, um, I'm I'm not going to die wondering here. I'm going to be able to um, say that hey, I gave it, I've, I gave it everything I've got, um, and I just needed to be, I needed to understand that I needed to be better than other people in other areas outside of just, um, just the sort of the the on-field skill right so I had to train harder I had to spend more time in the gym I had to understand my body more I had to learn how to recover from injuries I had to um, understand diet and what food I needed to eat and when I needed to eat it and what skill what drills I needed to do to improve certain things but double down on the strengths I had so it was a challenge like through that period um, particularly when you were with you know a lot of my best friends were were in rep teams and yeah. say so when you used to trial in rep teams you know uh and this is back in the day when you used to receive letters in the mail not emails right. um you know i used to go up to the letterbox we had a long driveway and i used to ride my push bike you know up there and i used to open this old milk can that we had as a as a uh, mailbox you know i used to open it at the top of the driveway um and every time it would say um you know, thank you, and you know when it starts but. with thank you, you know it's <laughs> it, it's it, it's not a it, it doesn't start with correct congratulations. It starts yeah. with a thank you. You know what's coming, and I got conditioned to understand that one that's how they start letters um, if you don't make it. But it also was important for me at, at an early age to understand just you know the level of importance of rejection. And, and understanding that you have a couple of choices, you know, when you get rejected, you either, you know, let it have a significant impact on your ability to, you know, um, to press on. And do you really want it? I mean, really, that's what it does. It presents yeah. you with an opportunity to say, to check yourself and say, is it worth it? You know, do you really want to feel this way again? You know, and if you don't want to feel this way again, you either don't do it anymore, you know, or you keep working hard enough to put yourself in a position where the result may be different. And that was that, you know, that was the choice I made. And um, so for me, 
because I was very curious always, um, I would always reach back out to the uh, to the team or the club that I'd you know not been selected for, and just said, "Hey, can I get it that I'm not I'm not good enough? I haven't made it. That's fine. Can you just send me your programs? Can you just send me you know your weights programs, or can you send me some drills that I can work on?" you know, so I can improve and then I'll see you again next year, you know, and I'll see you again the year after that, you know, like, and that's, that's the way it was. And, you know, eventually, eventually it paid off, you know, with all the, you know, the times that you'd do it and mum would be down at the oval with the stopwatch or, you know, that's, dad would be down good. there and putting markers down and getting up at, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and riding my bike down to the oval or down to the local gym and, you know that's the way it was, and it was rewarding when you when you end up getting there. Yeah. And how many seasons did you play with Elibana? Did you? Uh, sorry, uh, Valentine Elibana. Did you play right up until the nights, or did you change sort of? No, Valentine only went to under 15s. Right. Um, and then uh, then I went to uh, South Newcastle, um, gotcha. and that was really like a a really important step for me. Um, where usually most people from Lake uh, from Valentine go to Lakes, um, right. Lakes United, and for me, I just wanted to do something different. I wanted to go, I suppose, strategically. You know, at 15, I was thinking, well, I don't want to go to Lakes because I'm probably going to be playing with the same group of players, and if I play yeah. with the same group of players, I might not get a run as much as what I need to get a run to put myself in the shop front window for selectors and whatnot. So I'll go to a team that sits just outside the top couple um, mm. and and maybe I can be one of the best players in that team, you know, and Souths were always, you know, around sort of that, you know, you know, sixth, fifth, fourth, you know, type position. Yes. So I thought I'll go, I'll go there, you know, a uh, new club, you know, in under 16s, mm. my, my best friend at the time, uh, Dean Griffiths, he was a hooker. Uh, his father played for South, and I thought, well, you know, one, we're best mates. Two, um, I'll take a hooker with me because then I know I'm going to get the ball. Like, you know, um, <laughs> so, uh, so it was a it was a really good move for for Dean and I. We I loved it there. It was a great club. You know, that that's really what you know put me in a position to try and be one of the better players in that team to um, give me more opportunity to be, you know, selected. So who in the Knights sort of started whispering, you know, who were the scouts that were there sort of looking at you? I mean, you said your mum and your dad were already huge involvement with the Knights, but who, who were the scouts that were coming to sort of watch you play? And sort of saying, you know what, this guy's got a bit of talent. Yeah, I, I think it was back then the Hunter Academy had just sort of, you know, got up and running, oh, and oh. Um, yes. and you know there were, you know, some selectors, you know, around. You know, Warren Smiles was running the junior mm. development pathways, and I got selected in the Hunter Academy. I didn't get picked in the Knights, but I played in the Hunter Academy, which was, you know, effectively like we think you've got something, but you know, not enough at the moment to, you know, press for a night for a junior night spot. So you you know, you hold mats and you you know, yeah. your SG ball, you know, type position, you know, type teams. Uh, I ended up winning a scholarship, you know, from the, playing in the Hunter Academy. Uh, I got uh, the Hunter Academy gave me a, a scholarship. And from that, I got selected in a, in a national, you know, academy uh, team. And just, you know, just, 
fortunately enough, um, on the day that we had our National Academy, you know, or that the couple of days training um, was the Knights trial match, uh, was the Knights, um, you know, possibles, probables and trial matches. Yes. And I, you know, and they said that, well, it's more important that you go to that camp. We'll put you in there. You know, it, you, know you can bypass the, the, the trials and we'll just put you in the, you know, the 40 man summer squad. Right. And, and now I have no doubt that if I had have played in that trial, I would not have been selected mm. in the in the summer squad, just because of how trials work and you know those types of things. It, it just it was one of those sliding doors moments that that I didn't have to go on trial because you know I, I just don't think I would have got picked oh. um, because there were there were still other players that were better than me and yeah. those sort of trials they're very much reliant on relationships that you have and if you don't get the ball and if you don't have the right team around you it can be really difficult to make it um so when i got picked in the the summer squad and i was what 17 yeah 17 and we were playing under 19s i was playing a year up you know i was told by a couple of people um that uh, may not have been um a huge fan of me you know joining the summer squad um, because of whatever ability they thought I didn't have. Um, and they said, oh, you're just going to make up the numbers. Um, you know, you're not, you know, just just don't worry about making it this year. Um, mm. Just enjoy the training and, you know, don't worry about it. And deep down I was like, you know, get stuffed. Like, yeah. you, know, like you don't you don't know who who I am or what I, you know, what I, you know, believe I'm capable of doing. And I, you know, just really ripped into my training. Steve Barriston was the coach at the time. Right. Um, and I just got a sense that Steve was a very hard taskmaster, you know, very, you know, he was old school in many ways, um, was uh, like my father in some ways where he was, you know, very hard, very direct, you know, no bullshit, but also had, you know, a softer side if you were able to sh- demonstrate that, you deserved, you know, to see the softer side. So, so I just trained really hard. I, you know, they, they said I was again, still too small. Um, I went on a really hard eating, you know, campaign diet um, where I was, uh, I used to have a watch and I used to set that for every two hours and I used to eat, Um, you know, my mum used to, you know, pack my lunch pack, um, which people always hung shit on and didn't want, you know, it used to give me a hard time about, you know, me carrying my lunch bag around all the time. And, you know, I'd, we'd go to all different places and I'd have this lunch bag and my watch would go off. And even if we were out at a party or something like that, I'd, you know, be eating. And um, yeah. I put on 10 kilos in that off season, which was a lot for like yeah. a, you know, 16, 17 year old. But, you know, I got through, I got through the training and then I, we played a trial match at, um, Cabramatta against Parramatta and they always were really strong in the juniors Um, and I we played you know a few quarters um, and I'd played one quarter and then I ended up um, busting my ribs I cracked two ribs I didn't know it at the time and when you're when you can see your career like flash before your eyes it was like I'm just not going to tell anyone you know that I've got this and um, so I just kept playing played on um, and then finished, you know, finished the game and then got x-rays a couple of days later and I'd had a couple of crack ribs. Wow. And, uh, but my fear was that 
the next trial was the final cutoff. That was against Manly. And I remember crying, just thinking, like, well, I'm out. I'm done. They're not going to allow me to play. That's yeah. it, you know, for me. And I remember Steve was just like, you know, um, the fact that, you know, you played, which, you know, obviously wasn't hugely safe. Um, yes. But the fact that you, you know, you played and you didn't, you know, sort of, you know, show the sort of pain that you're in and uh, and you kept that you demonstrated to him that, you know, I the wanted character. it. And so he said, look, sit out the the game against Manly. I'm going to, uh, you know, you're in, you know, basically. And I just was like, this is incredible. Like um, as a 17-year-old, I wasn't yet 18. Uh, it was an under-19s um, team. I just remember it was just like such a surreal feeling. And then we played our first game of um, Jersey flag at Brookvale against Manly. And, um, you know, I just sort of never looked back. I come off the bench, scored two tries, and then started the rest of the season and wow. we ended up making the grand final that year. And then, um, you know, six months later or, or eight months later, I played first grade. Wow. And tell us about being signed with the Knights. I mean, do you get signed to SD Ball and, and those sorts of things? Or is this like a you're in the team until you oh, get yeah, to a certain I mean, age? I, no, I mean, I was, you know, signed. You know, once you obviously play, you know, you signed a contract. I think it was, you know, a couple of thousand bucks or, you know, something yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it really wasn't until I started playing reserve grade. It still wasn't anything big, but, you know, you started getting sort of match fees for playing reserve grade and, you know, right. those types of things. But, you know, I think when I played first grade at 19 in, you know, 2001, I think I was on about, you know, uh, between probably 20 and 40,000. I know I was on I was on fifteen thousand I think at that time and uh, but I was on you know some good match fees and yeah so that was that's how it began. And what a year for the Knights two thousand and one our second uh, grand final. Now I do believe and correct me if I'm wrong that you were injured at the time and you didn't play in the first grade but you did actually play your first game of first grade in that season. Right? Or was it? Yeah, I played before? seven games in that year. And um, unfortunately, uh, a, a week or two before the semi finals, I just got back into first grade. And really, Michael Hagen, who'd done a really great job in bringing through a lot of you know good young juniors. Yes. Um, and he was working on very much a rotation system with myself and uh, you know, Johnny Morris and you know, Daniel, Abraham, Daniel Abraham. Josh was starting on a more regular basis, Kirk oh, Gidley, okay. um, yeah. those sort of guys. So, yeah, and I, I broke my scapula uh, oh. um, two weeks before the finals um, and unfortunately missed that. Fortunately enough, though, it's just, again, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's just funny how the, the world works where um, Julian Bailey came in and replaced me the next game, he broke his arm. Oh, um, and then yeah. Daniel Abraham, you know, took, you know, that spot. And Daniel, him and I played together at Valentine when we were 13, 14 and 15. And he was one of the best players of the team. And it was yeah. just one of those things that it was great to see, you know, Daniel uh, yeah. win, a, win a premiership. Um, and, yep, it was difficult not to be a part of it. But, you know, <clears throat> our family's always gone down the line of, you know, everything happens for a reason. Again, like I said earlier, you know, you have a choice to make, you know, when they, when these things uh, come up and punch you in the face. And 
you know, I, I believe that, that that happened for a particular reason. Um, but you do when you when you're playing in a in a sport that is finite, and you know your career could be over, you know, um, from the next tackle, you know, um, or the next the next run, you, you just don't know whether you're going to get another shot at playing in a grand final. And I thought we were going to go back to back the next year uh, when we had a really strong season, and unfortunately, we had a couple of injuries right at the death, and Joey got injured, you know, the mm. game. Uh, against the Dragons in the last round. And then we went loss-loss out when I really thought that that was, you know, we, that was the shot. I played every game in 2002. Yeah. I didn't miss a game. Uh, and But unfortunately, it just didn't work out that way. Yeah. So uh, it says here 100 games for the Knights. That's pretty. It's a pretty good milestone to say that you played 100 games for, for your, like, your local team. So what, what are some of the highlights uh, in between there? Obviously, there would have been some semifinals. So, so tell us about some of the good times there. If obviously, your first game, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the one that stands out is obviously my, my making my debut. Um, yeah. uh, like at, at 19, you know, knowing, you know, what, you know, the, the road that I'd uh, travelled down, um, the fact that my, my, my family had supported me throughout that, you know, my sister, yeah. my mother and father, right the way through the hard times, the times when, you know, they would be picking me up off the ground from, you know, getting another one of those letters um, <laughs> and, cry, you know, crying and yeah. uh, and whatnot and seeing the work that, you know, you would put in. It was it was as much a uh, an achievement for me as it was for them, you know, like um, – because they played such a fundamental role and an essential role in uh, in giving me the best opportunity to you know to play the game that I loved for the team that I loved um, you know so uh, so to play there with a lot of my heroes um, yeah. that are still you know I'm very close with in front of my hometown uh, with my mates um, yeah. uh, there watching that still will be you know a a really, you know, a significant highlight for me. And, and then obviously just being part of the, you know, the grand final team in 01 yes. um, was 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 fantastic. I mean, when you're a part of that and you see what it means to the city and the community and, and yeah. the impact it can generate, it certainly leaves a lasting impression. There's so many moments, you know, through that, through that period of time when I first played with the Knights. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to come full circle and go back and, play um another you know dozen or so games there to finish my career and and tell it but clint sorry sorry to stop you there um the, the team that they had in 2001 and then in 2002 you, you look back at it now and you go oh my god how did that team not lose i mean it was just spread of international players and just a really really good team you know just, yeah i think i think that yeah you know, i think that we can all I think if we, you know, our heart of hearts would say that we probably underperformed, you know, during that period. I, you know, mm. I do believe that um, we had a team that really could have, you know, created some sort of dynasty. You know, yeah. really, when you consider that 2000, they, you know, sh- you know, they they lost the the unlosable game, you know, really against the Roosters. Roosters, um, yes. And and that was incredibly difficult. And then you win it in 01, and then you get to 02. And, won it again. Uh, yeah. and the dogs obviously, you know, get all their points removed. You end up becoming arguably the competition favourites. Um, and then you, 
you get rolled, you know, through losing, you know, your best player, you know, um, it's it's hard. And then, you know, 2003, we just sort of couldn't quite find our feet again. And then, you know, four and five were not bad years. Five, obviously, we had a, you know, a really difficult year that year with a lot of injuries. And I was out for uh, 13 weeks with suspension and, and injuries. And, yeah. and then, you know, we rebounded again in 06. We, you know, we were there or thereabouts, finished fourth. So yeah, I mean there was lots of lots of great moments. I think um, the most important part for me was to be able to say that, you know, uh, you know, I played for played for a proud proud club that is you know steeped in uh, some quality history that's been really defined by the people that started the club in in McMahon and Bell and 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 the inaugurable players, and then you know continued on through a uh, an incredible. Um, era of you know Johns and Kennedy and McDougal yeah. and Gidley and Badiris and, um, and, <laughs> and yeah Tahu Simpson. Johns like, brother, I mean yeah. the, the the list yeah, yeah. goes on. So yeah, I mean it was it was a great you know great time to play footy. Um, great time to play for the Knights. So it says here in 2001 was your your first game round seven against the New Zealand New Zealand Warriors and yeah you also mentioned to the 2004 suspension for 12 weeks. I mean, do you train in that? How do you sort of stay motivated for such a, a long long period out? Yeah, it was uh, obviously difficult um, given the fact that mm. I got suspended in I think like the second last or last round of 2004. So you've really got, you know, back-to-back pre-seasons that are, you know, you're staring down the barrel of when you've got, um, you know, 10 or, you know, 10 to 14 weeks of off-season training and then you've got to sit out another, you know, 11 or 12, you know, as well. Yeah, it was difficult. You know, it was, it went through some really, you know, you know really dark times, you know, during that period because I'd obviously injured in 01, missed the grand final. I'd had a ankle Rico um uh, a, the year before, then got you know big suspension you know for so it was, it was it was just back to back stuff, you know for me that was really difficult to manage, um, you know particularly when you know playing uh, when your ability to you know um, when the ability to play is taken away from you that meant everything, yeah. to me. um, and so. That was really difficult, particularly given the fact that the team, you know, lost, you know, uh, I think before I came back, we'd lost 11 or 12 straight um, and it was really hard to watch. Um, so that was that was a difficult time. But again, you know, as I've said, I mean, everything happens for a reason. That's right. I trained really hard during that period. Hague's and the training staff did a great job. I had some time off at, at a really important time, you know, to just mentally refresh me. Um, nice. And I came back and... I had, you know, arguably one of my best years for the club yeah, um, in agreed. 2005, and you know, I thought that, you know, it was an opportunity to repay, uh, repay the club, you know, repay, you know, the coaching staff and the players and the fans for missing, you know, a big chunk of the big chunk of the year. Yes, we won the the wooden spoon, but I think we won eight or nine of our last eleven, and it was, I think, I think it was the highest. Uh, wooden spoon points tally in history. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so it was, and I mean, I know Joey speaks about it. It was one of his most enjoyable years in 2005, just because of the, the you know how we were on the canvas and we had an opportunity to you know put the flag up and and just say this is it for us. But you know, I thought we you know we dug in and we had a really 
enjoyable back half of the year. Yeah, and, I was yeah. just about to say that you won. I think you won like seven out of eight or eight out of nine towards the back end of that that season, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it was a that, it was a really good part, you know, to finish on. Yeah, that that shows the the ticker and the courage of, of the the team. That that's great. So. Uh, 2007 uh, was your your last se- season with the Knights. So the decision was to to go to the to the Melbourne Storm in that season, grand final, and you also scored a try in this uh, game as well. Tell us about 2007 season. Yeah, it was a difficult year. Um, 2007. Um, Obviously, it started with all good intentions, and uh, you know Brian obviously had come and. One of the most, you know, technically gifted coaches that I, mm. you know, that I've had in my career. But you know, for a whole range of different reasons, you know, yeah. just didn't quite connect with, you know, one, what the community expected, two, you know, what the club was built on, and three, you know, and most importantly, just didn't understand, you know, how to get the best out of, you know, um, you know, the players at the time. I'm not suggesting that he. He didn't do it at any point in his career because he certainly did. I mean, you don't you don't get teams to grand finals like he did and not understand, you know, you know, high performance environments. However, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an enjoyable year for a whole range of different reasons. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on that many people weren't aware of. You know, he and I and other players were just at odds of you know really just how to treat people. And I didn't agree with you know some of the things that were going on. You know, no doubt. Um, I played my part in certain things where where I would challenge, you know, him and and the staff on certain things. Um, but I also thought that was the role that was you know that was needed to be played by me, given the fact that a lot of people were afraid, you know, to speak up. Um, yes. And and some of the younger players and some of the other players, you know, so it was you know I put myself I suppose between you know a bullet and a target. And uh, which I think led to, you know, uh, certainly a strained relationship between, you know, Brian and I. But I always had full intentions to, you know, play out my season. You know, in 2007, I was contracted Mm. till the end of the season. I made him very much aware of that. You know, I played City Country, you know, that year. um, And it was really playing pretty good footy. But every week... Um, he would tell me that I wasn't going to be starting or I wasn't playing, and yet every week I would start and every week I would yeah. play. You know, like and so and so that was it was just really strange for me. You know how that was considered the best approach to get them. You know to maximise you know the performance of an individual, and I just thought it was very divisive. You know how that was happening, and you know that was you know, one of the reasons why we fell out. And, you know, then when obviously I found out that I was getting um, shopped around in England, you know, that was uh, that was sort of really the catalyst for a, a much bigger conversation, which really came after I got picked for City Country and I wanted to back up for the nights we were playing the dogs on the Saturday mm. and um, no, on the Sunday. And that was always a tradition of the club. Yeah. And I just obviously played City Country. We played on a... Um, on the Thursday, I think we flew back Friday and we trained with the team on uh, Friday. Um, And then we went down on the Saturday. Sorry, we trained on the Saturday and then we were due to go down. You know, he he just said, you're not, you know, you're not playing, you know, you're not going to play, you're not going to back up. And that really hurt me, um, Mm. which I challenged him on. And, 
yeah, probably wasn't, you know, in the right spot, you know, in front of a couple of players, but I just said that, you know, I don't agree, um, mm. you know, with that. And, but he was like, well, you know, it's my job to pick the best 17 and you're not in it, uh, which I found hard to believe. And then that sort of, again, sparked other conversations, which really led to him, you know, saying that he didn't want me at the club for 2007 um, and he thought that I should go to England, that I, that I would be great in England and that I didn't know the club anything and I should just leave. I, I obviously completely was at odds with that. I spoke to the senior players in, you know, Badiris and Simpson and Gidley uh, and, and Perry and McDougall and said that I'll play my 100th game, which was the following, you know, which was uh, a week or two after that, um, after that conversation with Brian. You know, leading into the game, um, you know, Brian rested or, you know, or left out of the team. Gidley, Badiris, you know, George Carmont flew hmm. Cooper Vuna in from from uh, from New Zealand. Um, and uh, Jared Mullen was captain at, you know, 18 or 19. And we we were playing men in Brisbane. Oh, you know, the Broncos, like this, yeah. This was a formidable team, you know, that... Uh, went on to went on, won the comp the year before, oh. and they were a big team, oh, and they were you know yeah. up there at Suncorp, um, and we got beat you know seventy one to six every game up until that game. I don't think I'd played longer than you know fifty five odd minutes because mm. uh, Brian had said that I can't play eighty minutes, and that I'm not an eighty minute player nearly every week you know religiously. I played. I, I played 80 minutes that game. He left me out there for 80 minutes, and wow. um, and yeah, that was that was the end. And I made a decision, obviously that that was it for me. Uh, went into the club on the Monday, asked for a release with Paul Harrigan and Steve Crow. Um, now originally they wanted me to go to England, and I said, well, no, I don't have a club to go to. I'm not being forced to go to England, which they ended up coming off on. I promised them that I wouldn't speak about the club. Um, or anything that was going on with the club because I didn't want to bring any more attention yeah. on the club. We'd lost Joey, you know, you know, he'd retired, um, which was hugely, you know, damaging for the club. And obviously, I knew with my departure, it was nowhere near going to be caused the stir that Joey had retiring. But the reasons why, you know, would have been um, would have brought more more pressure. Um, and more unnecessary negativity to the club. So I, you know, promised to shut my mouth for the betterment of the club, uh, which turned out to be to the detriment of me because everyone had thought that I just walked out on the club um, just, you know, after a big loss. And that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, it was just a matter of timing that I said that I was going to go. I told my leading team that I was going to go. And unfortunately, it happened on a, you know, 71 to 6 day and... That yeah. night, Craig rang me, and next thing I know, that I was obviously in Melbourne. Wow! And, and that phone call, like, wow! Like being able to go to that club, and everybody talks about how professional it is, and you know how caring it is, and it's like a family down there. It says here you played 15 games, but but tell us about the experience being with Craig Bellamy and with Billy Slater, you know, Billy Slater and Cam Smith. Yeah, I mean, Craig um, was. You know, it was outstanding from the from the moment. You know, we spoke on the phone uh, where I was at the uh, I was at the exchange. You know, I was at no, I was at the Kent um, and uh, with Joey and and Danny Badiris and Kurt Gidley and uh, and he rang and 
said, it's Craig Bellamy. And I thought that he was um, taking the piss. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, no, you know, I've seen what's gone on today. You know, I'd love you to come and play for Melbourne. Um, you know, would you be interested? And uh, I said, um, you know, absolutely. But he said, you know, Clint, what you need to understand is um, you're, when, you're coming to the club, not, not just because I wanted you to come to the club. It's not my team. It's, it's the players' team. It's led by the players. And the reason why you're coming is the fact that our senior playing group, when I asked them, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to have Clint Newton come and play here? Mm. They uh, unanimously said yes. Um, wow. And so, uh, and he said, that's why you're coming, not because I want you to come, because um, they, they want you to come. And, um, and they were, you know, obviously uh, Smith and Cronk and, mm. you know, um, and Matt Guyer and Matt King and uh, Michael Crocker and uh, those guys. And that, uh, the, the way that made me feel in a, in a point of time in my career when, you know, I was really struggling with confidence, um, yeah. despite the fact that, you know, performances on the field weren't, you know, necessarily showing that. Um, and I was really felt just completely disconnected from the game that I'd, you know, loved. To hear that straight away, you know, immediately changes your mindset into now into uh, rather than, okay, what can I get out of this to what can I contribute? You know, yes. and uh, and it's like right now, you know, now I'm going to make sure that, you know, these guys, um, I don't let these guys down and um, their faith in me will be repaid, you know, via, you know, hopefully some great on-field performances and yeah. um, which, you know, led to a, you know, premiership and, um, yeah. you know, with Melbourne. Got up to where uh, you just left the Knights and you know the reasons why you you left the Knights, and you know your phone call with uh, Craig Bellamy uh, at the Kent Hotel of all places, <laughs> and and that's where we sort of uh, left it off. I just wanted to know how long was it before you sort of joined the club, and you know with the training, how long did it take you before you actually played your first game? With the Northern- <laughs> Do you remember? Was it a straight? Uh, yeah, when I. Yeah, pretty much when I got the phone call on the Monday night um, after yeah. we effectively ag- agreed agreed to terms at about you know nine o'clock at night um, after half a dozen schooners, um, <laughs> uh, there was really no money agreed to because that was that was not the purpose of going down there. It was really an opportunity yeah. and you know just sort of to effectively re- reboot you know a career. Well, I suppose not my career because I'd just come back from, you know, city country and whatnot, but um, yeah. it was really to sort of reignite the passion that I had for the game. So that was on the Monday night. I, I was on like a uh, like a six o'clock flight on the Wednesday. So I flew out Wednesday morning and, um, yeah, moved, moved down to Melbourne. So it was literally like a 36-hour uh, pack your stuff and head down there. And uh, I watched the players play uh, that weekend. Um, right. And uh, I think they might have played against South, and then uh, and then I played the the following week over in New Zealand when all the Origin players were unavailable. That was my first game, and yeah, 
And just reading about that, it's quite ironic because you, you were saying in part one that uh, Brian Smith didn't allow you to play 80 minutes of rugby league, but it says here that your first game with Melbourne Storm was 80 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was just um, <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we played 80 minutes. Uh, I remember speaking to Craig at half time, and he said before the game that he needed a you know a big effort from myself with all the Origin players unavailable, um, yeah. Cooper and Hoffman and Dallas Johnson and Mick Crocker was injured, Kafusi was injured, and uh, Matt King was in Origin, uh, Falau was in Origin. So really, I mean, from a senior player perspective, it was myself and Matt Geyer and Jeremy Smith and I think uh, Steve Turner might have been the the most senior guys there. The rest of them were all young guys, you know, like, you know, your Takatizi, um, right. you know, Russell Aitkins, um, those sort of guys uh, were all playing. Uh, I think might have Willie Chambers might have even played. I'm not 100% sure that it, it was just a very, very young team that I, I had, you know, I had my doubts um, about whether or not I was going to be able to, you know, play 80 minutes. Craig had said that he needed me to just yeah. for the bench rotation. Uh, but obviously when you've been told for the last, you know, four or five months that, you know, you, you can't, you know, you start to believe that sort of noise. And uh, I remember I was sort of battling at half time because it was in the pouring rain, you know, over in New Zealand. Right. Um, we, I think we were down um, two nil at half time. Um, wow. And I remember Craig grabbing me in the sheds and said, mate, you, you, you're going to have to get through another 40. Um, if we're going to win this game, you need to play 80, uh, stayed on the field. We won four, two. Um, Jeremy Smith scored from dummy half. Yeah, it was a it was a great you know it was a great moment to start my Melbourne Storm career, and it was just the irony of it also was the fact that I made my debut against the Warriors for the Knights, and then nice. made my debut for uh, the Storm against uh, the Warriors as well over there. And it's not the smallest pack going around at that time as well, right? So it would have been, uh, you know, all the big guys running at you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a tough game. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was really hard, and uh, but it was a it was such a rewarding win on the back of obviously what me personally I'd gone through, but for yeah. the team more importantly, you know, given the fact we had so many of our Origin players unavailable to go over there and win uh, was a you know tremendous achievement for a young 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 group of players. And then we went to uh, Townsville the following week and we beat the Cowboys by 50. Uh, yeah, right. I think it was 50 nil. We might have beaten them by. But that was, they were really two important weeks for my you know, transition mm. into the storm because I got to actually stay with the players for two weeks straight, start to you know get to know them really well. And then I never really looked back from there. Yeah, and build some combinations, you know. So, and did you, did you sort of, obviously feel pressured, but that after those two weeks, did it start to sort of, you know, settle in? Oh, yeah, I think that there was always, you know, pressure, um, you know, because obviously you're coming there from from the Knights under yeah. sort of obviously, you know, a different set of circumstances. And Melbourne were leading the comp at the time, whilst the Knights, I think, were in the top five, top six when I left. You know, there was, there is a lot of pressure to go to a, a competition team, um, but it was – the, it was the additional pressure that you knew that based on some of the stories that were getting about about why I left the Knights, you know, there was an added added amount of pressure that um, that you had to just park and 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 move on from because you knew that people were probably looking at you in a different way and and obviously I couldn't speak about why you know I left or I chose not to and so yeah you wanted to you wanted to demonstrate that hey um, you know I'm here I'm going to make an effort uh, I'm going to 
show Melbourne that um, I'm going to try and repay the faith that they've showed in me. But also, yeah, there's a, there was a part of me that wanted to prove to myself that all the um, some of the all the negative comments that I was receiving you know, pr- prior to going to Melbourne, they just weren't true, and I could prove myself yeah. right um, rather than proving anyone really wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And to the build-up to into the semi-finals and, and then into the grand final, you know, uh, what what was that emotion like? Did you have it? Did you have any memories of of that? You know, the build-up to the grand final. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a it was a tough campaign. Uh, you know, like we um, we played the Broncos in the first round. They, you know, that was you know fresh on the back of obviously they um, they they beat Melbourne the year before. Uh, where Melbourne obviously lost the lost the grand final, uh, and they had a really good team, you know, in in 2007 as well. Beat them down there. Then we had a week off, and then we played Parramatta at um, Etihad Stadium with the roof closed, uh, and that was um, an incredibly tough match. You know, Parramatta had a really good side, oh, yeah. um, full yeah. of form, and um, that was that was a real battle uh, where you know it came down to I think. Uh, Tahu or Vailiki, I, I um, can't remember. One of them, obviously, uh, I think might have just gone into touch um, late in the game when they tried to score in the corner. And uh, we managed to scrape through that one. But that was, you know, uh, a torrid, torrid encounter with them. Uh, and then obviously going into Manly in the grand final, you know, there was already some rivalry there with, with, the, with them. Uh, but I think that sort of, that was the catalyst you know, all started some of the rivalry anyway, you know, given the fact that they, you know, we beat them in 07 and then they beat Melbourne in, in 08 and then what uh, flowed on from, you know, some of the matches that there. But, yeah, I mean, it was a great, great week. Um, yeah. It was it was a very different week, you know, just because of the fact that when you when you play in Melbourne, uh, one of the real advantages, you, you know, you, you, you're sheltered from uh, rugby league press. And, yes. you know, so you can really just focus on, you know, yourself and your team and uh, what yeah, you need plan. to do and you can sort of yeah. just blend into the community without having you know the additional layers of external noise and and the pressures that come with that but you know just the fact that it's not in your face every day uh, and you can switch off and I and that was one of the key things when we went to Sydney uh, on the Wednesday yeah. um, I think for the Tuesday was really like you know stressing to players that if you don't read the press don't start now <laughs> um, you know, and and just enjoy the time together. Uh, I think they were much better for the run from the previous year, uh, where they weren't the bile reports. They were a lot more stressed, you know, the year before. And um, this this that week was much more relaxed. We were out at Parramatta, I think, for the first few days, and then we moved to um, moved to Coogee. Um, oh no, we were at Coogee, and then we moved to Parramatta. So yeah, I mean, it was a it was great. I still remember. You know, getting ready to go to the game. I remember, you know, the the night before, and and some of the you know the team talks and some of the comments that were in the, you know, on the news and and whatnot about how how good Manly were going, and mm. uh, and um, that really you know spurred us on. In particular, a couple of players that sort of you know had a couple of things to say. And then obviously, you know, when you run out, you know, on the field, and it was you know ninety thousand. Um, <laughs> Or very close to it, you know. It's a such a an amazing feeling, and then the game just is just comes and goes so quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then before you know it, you you're looking up at the clock, and you know you, you you can't be caught, and you you're thinking that 
you know, this is it, you know, you've done it. And, and you know, I just remember, you know, my father and, and mum and my family, my sister and everyone that was there and just to do it um, in front of them um, yeah. whilst it wasn't in the red and blue like I'd probably always hoped yeah. um, to, to do it, you know, with, um, you know, such a great club and a great group of people under a fantastic coach and staff. Um, yeah, it was, it was special. Yeah, absolutely. Any game, any specific game plans with Bellamy? Like, was there any sort of way to to beat Manly? You know. Yeah, I think we we really targeted the fact that we often spoke about um, you know targeting a couple of their key people. Uh, Anthony Watmo was one of those guys. He was on my edge. He was the back, my opposite back rower. You know, him, Brett Stewart, and uh, and and Michael Monaghan. And right. Matt Orford were the were the main guys that we wanted to target. Monaghan had been playing really well at a dummy half, and he'd been making a lot of meters, you know, at a dummy half. And we had a particular game plan about stifling his ability to get out of dummy half, um, and and making sure that our marker play was was really strong. And Orford had made some comments about leaving leaving Melbourne, you know, to to go down right. to Manly. Thought that was a better opportunity for him to win a premiership, and then obviously Brett Stewart was in, you know, sensational form. Yes. So yeah, I mean, we really wanted to target those guys. We wanted to send a lot of traffic, you know, at Watmo, um, which worked. And and Monaghan, I think, only maybe ran once in the game, um, maybe twice. Um, Orford played well, but obviously then Brett Stewart straight after halftime, you know, um, or leading, I think it was just after halftime, you know, Michael Crocker. Um, came through and uh, I think maybe with Billy Slater and knocked out, you know, Brett Stewart. So that was obviously a, a turning point in the game and uh, I think we went on to score not long after that. So, yeah, I mean, it was – we had some specific game plans for that. They worked really well. We trialled some uh, some set plays uh, that we actually never, ever showed in the semifinals, didn't show in competition matches, but we, we trialled oh. them. You know, at training, we also trialled a particular move in in one of the in one of our matches or one of the finals, but we slightly tinkered with it, you know, for the grand final. And both plays came off in the first half. Both of them try scoring plays. Um, so yeah, there was there was a lot of strategic thinking associated with Melbourne. Um, they were very very cagey, yes. um, and it and it managed to pay off. Yeah, absolutely. And you also scored a try. In the game as well, to top it all off, was that a set move or just you know just? No, nah, it was on the wasn't, back of some uh, good play. Hoffy's still filthy um, about. Uh, <laughs> I, I um I replaced him and went over to the left hand side because I was on the right. I think he he would have liked to have been there where I caught the ball. Um, <laughs> and um, I think it was might have even been meant for Matt King, but I snatched it um, and yeah. uh, managed to go over. And always remember a really cool moment <laughs> where I was walking back to my spot. Obviously, just you're soaking it in, and you're just, you know, thinking how good this is, and um, and then I heard this massive cheer in the crowd, um, and I thought they were just showing, you know, a replay of the try or something like that, and I turn around and there's a um, the camera had gone to my father um, in the uh, in the in the stands, and he had his beer and um, he sort of, you know, put his beer up and took a, you know, like just just had a massive smile on his face, and it was. Um, it was just a really good moment yeah. uh, that I that I I certainly never forget. Cherish forever. And, and was the plan always to to just have one season there uh, with the Storm? 
No, uh, obviously we were. They were working through a process with trying to manage their roster. Um, you know, they were looking at maybe Jeremy Smith going to the Dragons. Um, he still had a year to run, and you know, moving a couple of other players around. Obviously, I'd made a commitment to to Craig. You know, through the year that if they couldn't re-sign me, that I'd go. I'd go overseas. I didn't yes. want to play for another club um, in the NRL. And so it wasn't up until really like October um, mm. where uh, the, the decision was sort of finally made because Jeremy wanted to stay at the Storm, which, you know, there was right. certainly no hard feelings from my end, um, yeah. particularly when he had a contract in place, which effectively then triggered me to go to go to whole KR. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And speaking of that, you said you had family from England as well. What was that experience like? And I've heard from some people that you played some of your best football, arguably your best football over in England. Um, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I'd have to say, you know, the, the four years that I, that I played in England was, you know, probably arguably the best four collective years that I've had uh, on, on, and, on and off the field, really. Like I... I thoroughly enjoyed my time um, in Hull. I thought I just think the the build up to going, you know, wasn't ideal you know, because it was yeah. a bit last minute. But I had a really good preseason. I stayed down in Melbourne. I did my training, right. you know, with Melbourne um, in the preseason up until Christmas, where you know Craig, you know, they kept me on down there, and I, I trained all preseason with you know, Sam Takatizi and, and Sikamanu and those sort of guys that they were really bringing, bringing through. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a really tough preseason, but I was in really good shape. Uh, I went mm. to, went to England, you know, full of confidence, but you know, I, I was going somewhere completely uh, foreign to me. I didn't know anyone yeah. in the team. I didn't have any friends um, in the North of England. I had a couple of friends and family in London uh, but you know you're starting again, and all the all the commentary around Hull was very negative. Uh, you know it was very much like you know what would you want to go and live there for? You know it's the voted one of the you know worst cities in England and and oh, all that wow. sort of stuff. But but that that also it it's it was the sort of spark in me as well, like that uh, that it was like well I'm not I'm not going there for a holiday. I'm going there to play play footy I'm going there to work yeah um and I didn't want to be another statistic you know of a an Australian or New Zealand player that's gone to you know England and really just you know taken a retirement fund and um and not put in I was going there to set some standards um and I didn't want to drop my own standards on the back of you know winning a premiership with Melbourne so I went once I got over there um, it was tough, you know. There was um, it was pretty hard yakka going over there, where you sort of just it's brutally cold. Uh, yes. You know, no one really prepares you for what what you're going to be faced with, and you know, you're training in the snow um, religiously, uh, and and the conditions aren't aren't great. But you know, that's why you know that's why you know being the underdog's hard work a lot of the time is because you know Hull KR were the underdog that spent 20 years in the division below. Yeah. Um, and they just managed to stay up uh, um, in re- from relegation in 2007. We bought a few good players, and I wanted to be part of a, a transformation at the club. And uh, it was, you know, there was some great memories. Loved it, and and I'm incredibly happy that I made a decision to go to England when the other option was to stay in Australia and play for a couple of, you know, premier clubs. 
and in a you know in a time of your career where you you're probably at your nearly at your best at 26 27 yeah. um so um but I, I couldn't have been happier and i met my wife over there and um, well, there you go. You know, obviously got a couple of kids and so i mean everything works out in the end Absolutely. our family's always been a big believer of that that you know yeah. everything happens for a reason and i believe that um you know that that decision was um was the right one and I, and I read an interesting thing, like uh, I said that when you played for Hull, you would start in the back row, or you start in the front row, and then the second half or, or at the end of the game, you'd play in the back row. Is this true? Or is it the other way around? You start in the back row and then you'd move into the front row? Uh, I, got moved, I, got, I got moved around like a little bit, but I was predominantly always a right-edge back rower, you know, for, for Hull, Hull KR. Um, obviously, depending on your... You know you, you, the players that are available right. um, uh, at the time and and how the team's going. You, you obviously you want to try and stay out there for as long as possible. Or certainly had um, no. I'd sort of got the monkey off my back with the whole 80 minutes because that was pretty religious. Yeah. You know, in, in England, um, and then and that's tough conditions over there in 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 winter and um, and when you're having to cart the ball out from the backfield and. Uh, you're playing against, you know, some pretty big teams. Um, when you you are the underdog, it was it's tough going, but it was, you know, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, particularly when you're playing in front of fans that just um, that live and die for, you know, oh, yeah. for their club colours, and um, and that really brought me back to what rugby league was all about. Um, and uh, the people of Hull, um, you know, I couldn't couldn't have been more grateful for the way they made me feel. Um, you know, during my time there, and even the people of East Hull, um, despite the fact that they just supported the wrong team in in Hull FC, you know, they they made it really special as well because the derbies were was something nice. that um, you know was something that you know I'm I, I truly treasure, and um, I'm glad that my record is a, a seven and two record against um, uh, <laughs> against Hull FC. Yeah, right. And it says 100 games. So that that's another great achievement as well. So 100 games for Hull. And then uh, I see that Bill Gould gave you a call. I think it was in the last year of the contract. You know, Penrith at that stage was in like a, a bit of a rebuild sort of period. So what was the decision to sort of uh, come back to Australia and play back in the NRL with Penrith? Yeah, I, I think it got to that point where I was I was 30 um, I, I wanted to start to consider, you know, life after football uh, potentially, and and also my, you know, my, my partner and I at the time is obviously, you know, since become a wife. We really wanted to see, you know, how we went back in Australia, you know, before, you know, before you make any commitments, you know, and sometimes it, it just doesn't work out, um, yes. you know, with the with, with people relocating. So um, when Phil gave me a call and and I'd spoken to Ivan uh, about you know coming back in a, the particular role that Phil wanted me to play, uh, I thought it was a really great opportunity, particularly on the back of what I'd just gone through and what I'd been a part of uh, with Hull KR. I saw a lot of similarities. Um, was that was that a bit of a shock, but to to hear from Phil? I mean, were you happy to sort of like happy in England at the time, or just like? Well, well, I think obviously. You know, Phil was looking for a particular type of player, um, oh. you know, and a particular fit for what it, what he wanted to try and work on, um, which was largely about you know consistency, you know, consistency of training and work ethic, and and trying to 
not just bring a level of, I suppose, you know, professionalism to the club, but also try and galvanise, you know, the playing group, you know, somewhat. It was a, they were, they were an inconsistent team. They had a lot of yeah. talent, but they were a team that, you know, probably underperformed. Yes. Um, and, yeah. you know, that was, you know, probably evident by just the, you know, the team dynamics and, and how that was shaped. And, and again, there was some tough decisions that were made during that period of time. But I think that those decisions, um, you know, whilst, you know, whether or not they could have been managed better, I think that's all that's always about the perception of the people that were a part of it. And only they can tell you, you know, about that. Um, but the players that ended up departing, again, it's sort of funny how the world works where, you know, nearly all of them went on to win premiership. Lachlan Coote, uh, Michael Jennings, Luke Lewis, uh, right. you know, so it was, <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a necessary thing to happen, I think, for both parties, you know, to move on. And, you know, again, that's probably been vindicated now by Penrith winning a you know, winning yes. a premiership as well with a with a couple of guys that, you know, were part of that process. Um, or at least, you know, there's a number of people that assisted in that process, you know, where it, despite the fact that they'd moved on from the club, you know, uh, from that grand final prior to the Penrith winning the grand final, you just you can't underestimate the role that people like, you know, your Tim Grant, Josh Mansour, Matt Moylan, you know, those sort of guys had on the club. Even your Cameron Serraldo that's obviously yes. played a great role in the coaching staff coaching. now. Um, he was a part of that um, uh, that recruitment drive in 2012 where myself and him and Chris Armit and Louis Brown ended up coming and um, Kevin Kingston had been there the year or so before and, you know, there was there was a bit of a shift there. So, yeah, I, you know, it was uh, – again, I'm, I'm really pleased that, you know, I was able to come back and, again, play for a club that is, you know, you know rich in history – uh, it's yeah. got some incredibly proud and passionate fans. You know, yes. Again, largely like largely like Hull um, and Newcastle, where you know yeah. Sydney would you know would step on Western Sydney people and and right. they're very much downtrodden. And uh, but you know again, my time at, in in the Western Sydney and the people of Penrith, you know, I, I couldn't have been happier with how they. Um, how they um, accepted me into their community and um, they're incredibly humble, humble community that work hard, love their sport. And it's great that Penrith have now got a premiership, you know, yeah. um, and, a, and a trophy that, that they can, you know, that they can, uh, that they can celebrate. Yeah, and you should be very proud of that, Clint, and being a part of that sort of uh, start of that process. I, I remember Phil Gould coming on the footy show and all the media just saying, oh, you know, it's a five or six year plan. You know, we're going to get there eventually. And, and, and that's so true. Like they've been so close the last couple of years. So a real big, you know, congratulations to Panthers winning uh, this year. So and then coming back to the Knights. So was there talks like, was it you that wanted to come back? Was it the Newcastle ball that wanted to come back? Was it coaching? Was it you know, how did that all come about yeah, at that stage? It- it really came about, it started with Nathan Tinkler originally and it just didn't work out before gotcha. I went to Penrith, you know, and it had nothing to do with money. It was just more about, you know, roster management and, you know, an ability to go back and, and whatnot. And Wayne was interested, um, but, you know, it just didn't, it just didn't work, work out. And so I obviously went to Penrith, you know, again, I'd, 
I'd spoke, I'd stayed in contact with with Wayne uh, and obviously Matt Gidley as the CEO. And and when the uh, yeah the opportunity to came come uh, came up to go back there, we just had our first child um, in Penrith, um, and it was an opportunity to go back. And and all I wanted was minimum wage. You know, like that mm. that's that that's all I asked for. I didn't ask for anything above minimum wage. Um, now back then that was about you know I think I was on about seventy five thousand. You know, so I'd just come off a couple of decent contracts in in England and at Penrith, um, but again, it was never about the money. You know, for me, I, I thought that if I could go back there, I could play a specific role for the club. I was yes. never going to let the my contractual value or the dollar amount that was placed against my name um, impact on my level of contribution. I thought that you know there was a, a again a specific role that I was I was going to be there to play. And that was to support Wayne and and the senior players, but at a you know at a at a state cup level, um, and try right. and help help bring some of the the juniors through again, try and instill a level of you know professional standards, you know there. And really, it was it was just about giving the club um, an opportunity to continue to develop their juniors. But if I played first grade, fantastic. But that wasn't my driving factor. The driving factor was always about what what was the contribution that I could make um, to advance the club um, in any way and that was you know playing the role that I played so to go back there and and do that and work with you know the Metallias and Lockie Fitzgibbon and yeah um, and those guys was was great again it was a it was a difficult time obviously Wayne left you know, on the you know um, after that first season, it was incredibly traumatic for the club and um, and for everyone with Alex's injury. So yeah, it was a it was a it was a tough time, um, but no one had it tougher than than Alex. You know, during that period and his family and 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 whatnot. But again, that that was that was something that that no no one ever expects. Um, yeah. But was everyone had to deal with uh, and it's you know so good to see you know where Alex is now and just um, you know the the pillar of strength he's been for for so many people and back at the club but um, so yeah that was the yeah that was the role that you know that, that I that I played and and ended up you know staying on for another season yes. you know, um, after only probably having one one season that was obviously after the World Cup yeah, it was a it was a really you know, it was a good way to finish the career. Um, I'm really happy that that was a you know that I got the opportunity to go back and give back to the club that had given me so much. Yeah, and you got and you also got opportunity to play with the uh, United States and the World Cup as well. Uh, just just before that, right? Was that just before that? Yeah, it was just after I play, You know, I was at the back end of my last season at Penrith. Right, uh, right. And so yeah, it was it was a fantastic opportunity to go over there. It was. A difficult one because we we had a really difficult birth um, for our first child. You know, touch and go for both both my wife and uh, my child. You know, during that during um, the the birth, uh, but you know when they came came out the other side of it, and uh, I I didn't want to go. I'd sort of effectively pulled out of the tournament, but my wife had said, "No, you you'll never you'll never forgive yourself if you don't go." So. Yeah. Um, I left, you know, a four-day-old, uh, five-day-old baby, and and um, and wife, and went back, went to England, and I, you know, we, I thought that we we may only be away for three weeks, 
um, <laughs> given our draw and uh, and whatnot, and it turned out to be six weeks because obviously we um you know we won our group and went on and played in the finals and played Australia and uh, and whatnot. Which again, it was a it was a great opportunity to go over there and be a part of that. And my father came, and it was just a really good really good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Then to finish off with the Knights, also uh, a little bit special for for you as well. And I do believe that you uh, played some rugby union uh, as well after rugby league. You know, still sort of keeping fit. Like I, I read, even up to uh, last, you played uh, rugby unions. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, I got um, roped in. I moved to a, uh, <laughs> I moved to the Central Coast, and and we ended up uh, like one of my mates here. Um, he uh, he ended up uh, getting me getting me to go back and play. Um, you know, for the Evoca Sharks. So, um, so yeah, it was it was actually really good. It, it got me back into playing. It was actually a great release for me. Like you know, during like the COVID period, and was under some significant pressure um, as a as a rookie CEO. You know, trying to manage um, yes. my way through that, and uh, which was really really challenging and and difficult, um, but also very rewarding at the end of it. But I found that. Going back and playing community sport and playing rugby, um, I, I, rugby league wasn't available because the league comp didn't didn't happen during COVID. But rugby played, and yeah, we ended up um, winning a premiership in, in a grand uh, final. Yeah, yeah. In, in that against against Terrigal, um, so the local derby, which was good. So uh, yeah. so yeah, um, yeah, my mate uh, Todd Wadey he was he was incredibly happy. So um, so it was great to be able to come back and 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 play um play for you know despite the fact it was rugby it was great to just actually it's always good winning winning trophies and you're going to get the call up again to have another run next season well i was thinking about playing for king cumber this season uh another one of my mates was the was the coach and uh i'd committed after probably a few too many beers um that i would that i would play um, so he held me to that, but again, we got to the point where COVID shut it all down, and I wasn't able to play. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Well, never say, never say never. Yeah, that's it. Chief Executive uh, of the NRL Players Association. Uh, it's a huge honour to have this job. I know it's extremely difficult, but uh, tell us about some of the some of the highlights so far. Yeah, I um, I mean, it was it's one of those things that. Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly passionate about um, about justice, fairness, uh, yes. and um, and you know, standing up for what you believe is right. And I've always done that, you know, through my career. When I when I became a part of the RLPA, when I came back from England and became general president, and then you know became chair, and then moved into you know management as the general manager after my career, uh, it was. It gave me a, a, a significant sense of purpose uh, because I, you know, I really believed that we had a um, we had an opportunity to right some wrongs and 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 really significantly assist with uh, putting a bit of a stake in the ground to make sure that players were um, were properly protected and supported, but also fairly remunerated, you know, based on their level of contribution and the essential role that they play in the game. And rugby league was a long way back. Um, yes. You know, on the on the terms and conditions, and and we still are in certain aspects, um, and so there's there's work to do. But what I love most about the job is that uh, is that 
it gives you a real sense of purpose around, you know, um, about understanding that you've got um, you've got players, you know, lives and their families um, at stake with regards to um, what you do and and what you want to try and achieve for them. But not just the current players, but also uh, you've got to be able to represent the past players as well with regards to um, where do they, you know, what would they want us to do and how hard would they want to, you know, push to to ensure that um, uh, players, you know, get what they deserve, uh, particularly given, you know, the risks that they take and the finite careers that they have, uh, but also establishing some, uh, some, some, you know, some fundamental foundations that obviously future players can aspire, you know, to be a part of as well. And, and particularly now for the women, that it, that is such a fast-growing participation yes. rate, uh, we need to establish um, some really strong foundations, you know, for the women to thrive on. Um, and you get a great opportunity to do that via advocating, supporting and protecting and advancing the interests of the players, you know, via representing them. And, uh, again, I'm incredibly passionate about that. You know, it, uh, it challenges you um, all the time. You know, but again, I really believe in the players that we represent. I'm incredibly proud of the players that we represent, you know, both the women and the men. We've got just our, our strength is in our diversity. Um, our strength is in um, our, our level of authenticity that exists within the playing group and the connectedness that, you know, that the players have with the community. And, um, and I just really think that we've got such a great opportunity to – uh, set rugby league apart from other codes in this country and in our in our region, both here and in New Zealand, by by securing you know the best terms and conditions for both men and women, uh, because that's what if I'm uh, if I'm a parent, uh, which I am, um, and if my daughter uh, my daughters choose to play rugby league, well I want to know that you know they're getting the best and yes. uh, the best terms and conditions, the best support, the best welfare and education, you know, the best um, injuries and protect, uh, injury hardship um, uh, insurances and, uh, and everything that they deserve, um, we have to try and, you know, try and strive to get. And I think that the game has significantly benefited via having a stronger players association. It's proven globally Absolutely. that the Absolutely. stronger you have your representation, provided that, you know, you've got the right values, which I believe we do. Um, you know, the game thrives from that, you know, because yes. you, you cannot have uh, a body uh, that runs the game and governs the game, but also is always, you know, protecting the interests of the players because that would be in, in largely counterproductive. You've always got to have another side to present um, to present the perspective of the players because they're your greatest asset. And again, like I said, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the playing group. They're not perfect, but you know, perfection in these types of situations yeah. is not attainable when you're dealing with human beings. But yeah, it's um, it's a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Two more questions, uh, Clint, and I'll uh, I'll let you go. So, what would you say to a young kid that, like yourself, was a little bit smaller, you know, in in his in his juniors, or someone that wants to start play rugby league? What What do you say to someone? What advice would you give to uh, like a, a junior player? Oh, I think that there's a there's a couple of different things. One, I would say that you know don't don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. And, you know, like, you know, no one 
no one knows what you can do except except you. But you know, if you don't believe you can, you know, uh, you're beat already. You know, so I think that you'll always get the doubters, you'll always get the naysayers because that's that's how they live their life. Yes. Um, and uh, and so when people live their life in that way, they want to recruit. And for me, that was a really big part for me was to try and block out, you know, that that negativity. I probably didn't realise how much it affects you until later on, you know, where that that early on the constant, you know, negative sentiment that would come your way. You know, I don't know whether I ever really moved past that. You know, it was just mm-hmm. the fact that I just, you know, I chose to not give up but I think that that always creates some level of doubt in your ability um, and that's probably just looking back retrospectively but that would be the first thing is that if you want it bad enough absolutely give it a rip and and make sure that you're the one that decides whether or not um, you want to stop not the external noise um, that comes because they're not the ones that are going to live with regret you are and so that would be the first thing the the second thing, which it wasn't it wasn't necessarily strategic, but I think subconsciously it was, is make sure you ask as many questions as possible and stay curious and constantly look for ways to improve and understand and 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 move closer towards where you want to be, um, and and ask questions unashamedly. Don't be afraid, you know, to ask them because there might be someone else that wants to ask that question. So when you're asking it, yes, you're asking it because you want to know, but you might be helping others in the process. And that can be a sign of strength for people if you're prepared to do that. And I think that if you couple those two things, the sort of never give up type attitude with the curiosity and the work ethic that you know has to come, I think you will naturally gravitate towards others and, uh, and you can't do it by yourself. You're going to have to have the ability to build relationships with people and align with people to help you, um, you know, along the way. There's those type, there's there's probably those three things is removing the doubt, um, yes. you know, staying strong in your beliefs, stay curious and have the ability to um, to build relationships with people that are going to that you're going to need, um, you know, to get you to to where you hopefully will get to. Absolutely. Uh, let's finish off with this question. Uh, what does the future hold for Clint Newton? Uh, mate, I, I try and live more in the present now than ever. I think that I've, I'm always aspirational. I've always got big things going on in the brain, and that, that's what keeps me awake at you know, 2 a.m. or you know, that I can't get to sleep. But really, my, my main focus is is getting getting a, uh, a great outcome for, for the players, both the male and female players in the next CBA. Um, that's absolutely the priority, uh, and it's you know I have a you know unwavering belief that 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 is necessary you know to continue to move the game forward. Uh, I think we've got a great opportunity to work with um, work with the NRL and the clubs and the states to um, implement um, some collective terms that are, that truly reflect the not just the contribution of the players but also gives us an ability to champion that and promote it to this is the pathway. This is the sport of choice, you know, for your, um, for your girls and boys to play. Um, And that's the opportunity that we have. So that's number one. And, and secondly, uh, any future that I have is, is going to be relying on 
um, making sure that I'm um, providing for the family and I'm, um, I'm spending time with them and uh, probably need to get better at that. So, But I try not to look too far down the line with that type of thing. Um, I want to try and spend time with my, my father uh, and my mum, uh, particularly my dad, who's, who's not um, traveling as well these days. So yeah, but I've, I've got some things that I want to, I want to do. Um, I believe I'll do those. Uh, but first, first things first, and that's, um, stay on the path that we're on. And, uh, I think, um, I think we'll get some good results. Absolutely. And you're doing a great job and you could just tell by the, the season that we had this year, great achievement, true inspiration, a great, an amazing story. You know, you come from not the best player, but you, you sort of stuck to your guns and, and uh, I really respect that. And uh, you've got to the highest level of your chosen sport. I wish you all the best for the future. When, if I come back to Australia, or when I come back to Australia, I'd love to catch up and have a beer with you. No worries. Thanks, mate. Your share. All right, Clint. Thank you very much for your time. Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.